It is Thursday, July 28th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaap. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And if you head over to DraftSharks.com, you'll find lots of new content, wide receiver breakdowns from me and Jared. Jared handled all the NFC. I did the AFC. Every single team that you want to know about is there. We looked at you know where we would draft guys, places where we wouldn't draft guys, the reasons why we're either drafting them or not, what could be the upside paths. You know, basically, Jared, all of the things that are either working for or against all of these wideouts. I'd say it's basically everything you need to know about all 32 wide receiver cores. I mean, it's going to be a long read. You know, sit down for maybe an hour or two to, to get through those things. But if you if you you know read through them, I think you'll be pretty pretty prepared for your for your fantasy drafts. I would say so. And you got the time. Come on. What else you got going on? You're at work trying not to work anyway. <laughs> Comeback player of the year is up on the site that landed earlier this week. The early round bust is coming next. We got the breakout player coming after that. Those of course are the big three articles that we do every year. So you'll want to see what players are spotlighted in those. We've also got some extra picks at the end, some guys that just missed making that selection. So it's not just a, a one and done, but you know, some guys that you're either going to want to highlight on your draft sheets or think about ignoring a little bit more much more content of course and regular updates to the draft sharks rankings from this point on and uh, jared i would imagine that for many people that matters more than the articles that are coming out because the rankings are what most of us are doing we've got stuff like you know julio jones signing which changes things the inevitable injuries we haven't had any yet but they're coming at some point we know none of us knows who it's going to be so we react to those as they happen. And of course, just the general camp buzz and preseason performances that that always, you know, sometimes it changes things more than they should, but that's kind of the point of all of us collaborating on them is tugging on the ankle of somebody who's getting a little carried away or, you know, <laughs> jabbing somebody who's not giving enough attention yeah. to some player. Yeah, there's definitely an art to how to handle the you know rush of news we get in August and all the stuff we see in the preseason. Um, so yeah, it's definitely good to bounce ideas off each other. And yeah, we are keeping those rankings updated. You know the the top end guys like you know Mike Evans and Tom Brady moving with the Julio Jones and Chris Godwin news. Uh, the, the bottom end guys, I you know, I, I just flipped um, Isaiah McKenzie and Jamison Crowder in our rankings. I know you were on board with that. I just made that move this morning in the actual rankings. So you know um, we're covering everything. We don't we don't miss anything here. And I'm, I'm also boning up on some psychology podcasts so I can think of ways to trick Jared into agreeing with me when I want to move somebody up or down the rankings going forward. Good luck. <laughs> Those rankings, of course, work primarily to run the dynamic Draft Sharks war room that sinks to your league while you draft it, updates in real time as the draft goes on, giving you recommendations the whole way. So you're not lost scrambling who scrambling and, and trying to figure out who you should draft at any point. Um, we're telling you recommendations right there. It doesn't mean you have to follow the draft room, but it's there telling you who our top options are as you go. And Jared, it switches to upside mode about halfway through the draft. So it's not just telling you the next guy in our rankings. It calculates ADP and it looks at upside, especially as you get later into the draft and upside matters even more. Like if you're picking somebody in round 12, you generally don't just want the next wide receiver in the rankings. You want the guy that has a shot to smash where he's getting drafted and turn into a starter for you later in the season. Cause those are the kind of guys that win you leagues. 
Yeah, and of course, the upside mode is based on our ceiling projections, which we have for every player. You know, every single player has a baseline projection, which we say is the most likely outcome. There's a floor projection, which is, you know, if everything goes wrong, you know, this is what's going to happen or we think is going to happen. Then then the upside projection, the ceiling projection. And what upside mode does is it basically weighs that ceiling projection heavier than it does, you know, with upside mode off. And yeah, the upside mode will click on automatically for you halfway through your draft. If you want to see it sooner, if there's a button right at the top of your board, can't miss it flick that over and you'll kind of, you know, see the guys available that we think have the highest ceilings. And Hey, if you get to a pick where you're like, ah, I feel like I need a floor wide receiver right here, turn it off and you'll get the next guy in our rankings. So you can, it, yeah, it I mean, sounds you can like a lot of work and it is, it's a lot of work getting those things ready. Oh, yeah. That's what we're here for. We're doing all that work so that you don't have to while you're drafting. Yeah. You can even sort by the floor projections on the MVP board or on the, on the draft forum. If you, if you do want to, you know, go for that higher floor guy, which, which you know might make sense in certain situations. And hey, you could do a mock draft on our website and take the floor guys all the way through and see what you come up with besides boredom. Yes, I was gonna say don't don't do that. That's not fun. <laughs> if you are looking to set up your 2022 league, or even if you've done so already, I would recommend that you check out Fantrax. It is completely free. It is completely customizable from the number of stat categories that you can choose, the playing formats. Like maybe you have an existing dynasty league that already did a rookie draft and you're already set up somewhere and you just, you don't love the site you're on, but that's just where it is. So you stick with it. You can import that league for free to fan tracks and get a much better user experience. So just because you're slogging along at a site you don't like, doesn't mean you have to stay there. There are solutions out there and fan tracks is that solution this year. Fantrax.com slash draft sharks. If you start a league on fan tracks today, you get entered into a drawing for a signed Travis Kelsey Jersey. If you do it in a few days so that it's August, you get into that promotion that we mentioned last time where you're entered for a league that's going to get picked to be sent to an NFL city of your choice with spending money. So a a cool promotion. I think Jared, I want that Kelsey Jersey. So, you know, maybe hold off a few days before, uh, you know, creating your league on fan tracks. There you go. Do it in August, but then you'll be competing with me because I got plenty of places <laughs> that I want to go. And I'm, I'll, I'll just call my wife one of my league mates there so that she doesn't get mad at me for going without her. Fantrax.com slash draft sharks. Now it's on to the final division in our divisional preview series. It is the AFC East, and it starts with the Buffalo Bills, who, you know, if you're old enough, you can remember the Bills being a favorite. They did go to four straight Super Bowls, but it's been a while since then that they've been on top of even the conference, even the division, because Tom Brady stuck around New England for a long time. But that's where they are now, the number one Super Bowl favorite. They are losing, for our purposes, OC Brian Dabble. And they're not losing him. He's gone. He went to coach the Giants, who we talked about on Tuesday's podcast. Now, the question is, does that matter? Of course, the full answer is, we don't know. We'll find out once the season starts. But I wonder if it makes any sense to really worry at all about him leaving. So I'm not sure anybody thought very much about Brian Dabble or most people knew who he was before the past two years when Josh Allen really broke out as a passer. Cause before that he spent two years as the OC in Cleveland. He spent one as the OC in Miami, he spent one as the OC in Kansas city. Then there were six years before he got the bills job. He became the OC there, spent the past four years as the coordinator for Buffalo first two kind of forgettable in terms of their offensive stats. And then of course, Josh Allen broke through. So now we've got Dabble gone to the giants. We've got Ken Dorsey stepping in and he spent the past three years as the quarterback's coach for Buffalo added passing game coordinator duties last year. So I think that it's fair to expect things to continue similarly to how they have been. Yeah. I mean, it's impossible to separate a coach from 
his personnel. Like they're obviously interconnected. So we can't give Dable all of the credit. Who, who knows how much credit we can give him for what the Bills have been the past two seasons. I, I, I first of all, watching the Bills offense, it's like one of my favorite offenses to watch. So I, I like that. And then just look at some of the you know stuff we like to see from offenses, fast paced, pass heavy. You know, that's what the Bills were under Dable. So I, I'm a Dable fan. You know, we've talked about that's one of the reasons we, we like the Giants offense this year. Um, so to me, it's a slight concern. It's something I'm watching this summer, you know, watching in preseason, listening to what we hear out of Buffalo. Um, but I do like that they went with continuity where they, you know, promoted Dorsey from within. Hopefully Dorsey tries to make, you know, this offense as similar as, as it was under, under uh, Dable. Uh, Dorsey is a former quarterback. He's been in the league since 2011. He has worked with Sean McDermott for basically all of that span came with him from Carolina. And like I said, worked the past few years under Dabble. So he should be able to continue things along if that's what he chooses to do. So I'm going to head into the season, not worried about that change run pass split. I got him at 59 and a half, 40 and a half Jared. That's leaning pass. I think that they will be good if they, lose more games than anticipated maybe that shifts the pass run split a little bit further toward the pass but you know i think in that 60 40 range is what we should expect right because as pass leaning as this offense wanted to be last year and you can see that if you look at the situation neutral pass rate they were only actually 10th in pass rate because they were playing with so many leads and that led to you know more running late in game so i'm with you i admit 59 and a half right where they were last year um yeah i think buffalo again as the vegas odds tell us is you know going to be one of the best teams in the league and that that just is going to keep the pass rate from from getting too high of course not a big issue for josh allen because he gets it done passing he gets it done running and if they are just leading in most of their games it's going to be because they're scoring points so that's good for the quarterback we're not going to downgrade him for that the only question for josh allen jared is if he goes too early in drafts but i mean it's impossible to dislike him otherwise I mean, you want to talk about an insane role for a quarterback. So, you know, Allen obviously led all quarterbacks in fantasy points last year. He also scored – he easily led quarterbacks in expected fantasy points. He actually scored 36 fewer points than expected. Um, so that tells you how awesome this role was. Allen finished fourth among quarterbacks in pass attempts, third among quarterbacks in carries, and he was second at the position in both red zone carries and carries inside the tent. So just massive – volume massive fantasy potential you know with that type of volume so uh, yeah he's 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 to me the clear quarterback one like you said it's you know how do you weigh that gap versus the gap in adp because Allen does tend to go you know around around and a half ahead of uh, you know all the rest of these guys and the scoring under expected is key to that because you look at a guy and you say he can't really finish number one for a third straight year and yeah, I mean, it's more likely you come down from there than that you stay up there, but there's nothing fluky about how he's done it so far. Maybe they take some of the goal line touches away from Allen, but maybe he's driving that and they're like, okay, we're going to throw it this time. And he's like, uh, no, there's a lane. I think I'm going to go ahead and run it in. So I'm not going to significantly downgrade him for the rushing touchdown upside. And frankly, if he finds a better set of pass catching running backs that he can dump off the ball to, then that's still success for the quarterback. If those guys are getting into the end zone, it's not quite as many fantasy points, but you know, it's still pumping up the numbers. So even when we get to the context of where he's going in drafts, I'm not opposed to adding Josh Allen. Yeah, he's a big dude in his prime for a Super Bowl contender. Like, I don't see a reason why the Bills would really change the way the way they're using him right now. The backfield got some change this offseason. The team tried to sign J.D. McKissick, and then Washington was like, oh, God, J.D. McKissick's about to go somewhere else. We better give him the same amount of money. So he's back with the commanders. Um, they then 
drafted James Cook earlier than some might have anticipated. But clearly, I think the way that we come out of this is knowing that Buffalo wants to get more receiving upside at least and maybe volume out of its backfield. Yeah, because De- because Devin Singletary was not good in the passing game last season. So 49 running backs, 30-plus uh, targets last year. Singletary was dead last among those 49 in PFF receiving grade. He was 48th among those 49 in yards per route run. So, you know, Singletary was strong as a runner last year, uh, ninth in elusive rating among 50 qualifying backs, and he uh, produced in fantasy, especially down the stretch. Um, but it, it, to me, it's pretty clear they want to scale back his work in the passing game. And I think, I think, you know, James cook looks, looks like a favorite. So, you know, right out of the gate, come, come week one, be Buffalo's primary pass catching back. And James cook, of course, was a receiving back at Georgia. He carried the ball some, but wasn't close to Zamir white in carries last year. So it's fair to assume that he continues to work like that. He's going to get some carries for the bills, but I would bet on Devin Singletary being a lead ball carrier here. And I, I, let's just skip ahead to ADP. Cause I think that matters in placing these running backs. If you were to just, you know, look at Devin Singletary's hot finish to last season. And then the addition of James Cook, you say, okay, I'm going to be off of Devin Singletary this year. That's what drafters are saying in general, though. He's RB 33 right now. So bottom of RB RB three range, and that's best ball drafting where you're just taking spike weeks from him. So in that context, I'll certainly take the guy that I expect to lead in carries for what I expect to remain one of the top scoring offenses in the league. And James Cook, just a little bit behind him around later RB 37. I think they're both in play. Me too. I mean, we definitely want to invest in this offense and those aren't, you know, big prices. We have to pay for these guys. Singletary was uh, 13th among running backs and half PPR points per game over the final seven games of the season. That's sort of when he took on a bigger workload that was on 15 carries and 2.6 targets per game. So even then he wasn't, you know, he wasn't playing a huge role in the passing game and, you know, 15 carries that that's a bit higher than we haven't projected for this season, but you know, he could, he could get 12, 13, even with cook involved. Um, so I think, you know, that the, the the, the, the dip we expect in volume is definitely priced in at his ADP. The big question to me is how, how, much, how much red zone and you know goal line work these guys are going to get. Because Singletary was scoring a bunch of touchdowns late in the season, which you know kind of fueled that production. Um, so we'll have to see. And I don't, you know, you know, James Cook's only 199 pounds, so he doesn't look like someone that's going to you know command that stuff. But you know, how much is Singletary going to see versus Josh Allen? Yeah, and what's Devin Singletary's weight? I mean, he's only a little bit over 200 pounds, isn't he? You know, it's a, like the difference yeah, of a couple right. of lasagna nights. Yeah, exactly. So uh, this is a crew that I am more interested in for best ball because I think it will be frustrating during the season. That said, they each have handcuff value with each other. So if you're talking in RB3 or even RB4 range, it's somebody's stash you use if you need to. And then if a teammate goes down, you get the touch bump. Duke Johnson signed with the team shortly after the McKissick thing fell through. And of course, every time Duke Johnson signs, I I know we're at least like, oh, okay, let's see what happens here. Then they trade they they picked up James Cook. So we'll see if Duke Johnson even makes the team. But he's at least in the mix for now. Zach Moss remains in the mix. And, you know, he has spent two years disappointing us so far, but it's at least worth remembering that he's on the roster. Yeah, and Moss is the one that's been creating some camp buzz early on. Um, I think it's saying it's Joe Biscaglia of the Athletic has, you know, been kind of talking up Moss's play early in camp. So I, I think Moss and Johnson are competing for one roster spot. Um you know, Moss to me gives still gives the backfield something different. You know, Duke Johnson to me is more similar to James Cook and uh, you know Devin Singletary. So we'll see. I mean, they're they're neither guy is draftable at this point, but you know, potentially in season, if you know either Singletary or Cook goes down, then you know whoever gets this third running back draft might be interesting. 
thickness is what Zach Moss gives to the backfield. Pass catchers, a more exciting group. Stephon Diggs leads the way, and it felt disappointing his season last year. It wasn't terrible, though. I mean, he finished wide receiver seven in PPR, um, still delivered for us. So it was a little bit disappointing because he got into the first round of drafts after that breakthrough season in his first year with Buffalo. Did come down a little bit in target volume and, you know, some of the other metrics that get him there. But the numbers were fine. We'll certainly take something similar with the chance at getting back closer to 2020. Yeah. It almost feels like we've seen Diggs's ceiling and floor over, you know, over the last two years in Buffalo, you know, the, the wider, he was what wide receiver three in 2020 wide receiver 12 and a half PPR points per game last year. And of course, you know, injuries and or whatever, he could finish worse than that this year, but you know, on a per game basis, um, I think he's a safe bet to at least be a top 12 wide receiver. And he's, I think he does still have that, upside into the top five because, you know, the, the Bills did lose a bunch of targets with Cole Beasley leaving, Emmanuel Sanders leaving. We expect Gabriel Davis and, you know, James Cook to pick up most of those. But, you know, Diggs could definitely get back to the target level he was at back in 2020. He saw 10.4 targets per game in 2020. That was down to 9.6 targets per game last year. And his yards per catch last year came down slightly, even though his A dot got a little bit deeper. His yeah. touchdown rate through two seasons with Buffalo is actually slightly below where it was in his time with Minnesota. And he certainly was not the clear lead receiver there. So, you know, it, we're talking about slight bumps in each of those cases, but we're in the range too, where a slight bump could be the difference between you're disappointing me as the 11th overall pick and you're number two at the position. So there's, there's enough, even just slight upside to like digs. I think where he's going. Yeah. I guess we'll get to the ADP or we can get to it now, but I, I do still think he's definitely priced closer to his ceiling than the floor. Like I'm fine with him where he is. I might, I, some people are like in love with getting digs at, you know, eight, nine, 10 overall. I think he's fine there. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not super excited to land him. Yeah, I was I was enjoying when you could get him in round two. I yep. agree that now he's getting into round one pretty easily and his underdog ADP right now is 8.1 overall. So I don't think you can call him a value pick there. I think it's just the, the safe feeling of having a number one receiver yep. rather than a running back in that range. Yeah, he's definitely safe. We know he's the top dog in you know, what's going to be one of the most voluminous and, and productive passing games in the NFL. Oh, voluminous. He is going behind Devontae Adams in FFPC drafting. So if you're pining for digs, maybe you get in there and take a running back or Kelsey on the front of the turn and then grab digs on the way back around. That's the stuff that never makes sense to me. I guess you could say the same about Adams, but to me, digs is more valuable in a full PPR league. You know, he's more of the, the volume guy, which I guess Adams is too. So maybe it, it does make more sense than I, I thought. But yeah, I, I would, you know, I, I'd rather draft digs late round one in FFPC than underdog where it's just half PPR. Yeah, I think those guys are going to be duking it out just to draft to draft the rest of the way. And they make sense being close together. Gabriel Davis is a guy that hasn't made a whole lot of sense at all this offseason. And, you know, I get that the last time we saw him, he was scoring four touchdowns. And then the team got rid of Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders. And now they've got this young, exciting player who's ready for a bigger role and just gave us big stuff. And we're all drafting best ball teams where we can talk ourselves into anything, especially when we just need to win a week at a time at the end of the year. That said, Gabriel Davis still a bit more hype than substance for me. Yeah. I mean, it's a small sample size that you're kind of pointing to if you're a Davis fan, um, you know, and the, back half of last season and through the playoffs. We, you know, we do through his first two NFL seasons, we have 14 games where Davis has played 70 plus percent of the bills offensive snaps. In those 14 games, he's averaged 6.2 targets, 3.6 catches, 54 yards, and 0.8 touchdowns. That scoring average in half PPR 
points per game would have made him wide receiver 25 last year. Um, and that's, that's about where we have him ranked. Um, but that's, you know, four or five spots below ADP at this point. The, the ADP is what I have a problem with. I want to be in on Davis. I, I see the upside to him as a player in this situation, but um, it, it, to me, it seems like he's priced right about at a ceiling at this point. He had six games late last year in that range of over 70% playing time. He saw 16.4% target share, which is a fine number, but you'd like to get more like 18, 20, 21 if you're taking a guy in the bottom of wide receiver two range. So, you know, can he work out? Sure. Is it easier for him to work out in a format where if he's just okay during the regular season and then balls out in week 17? Yeah, it's much easier for him to win in that format, but Overall, I'm definitely going to be under consensus on Gabe Davis this year. Yeah, I am too. Don't, don't really want to be, but you know the market sort of dictates some of that. Yeah, I, I don't even feel bad about it, honestly. <laughs> and then otherwise at wide receiver for Buffalo, we've got an interesting competition. We had Jamison Crowder arrived. You know, you, you kind of look at the situation and think, well, actually it was after Isaiah McKenzie resigned. So, you know, I looked at it and thought, Okay, they re-signed Isaiah McKenzie because they like him overall. He's a return man for them. He can work out of the slot. But clearly they brought in Jamison Crowder because they think he's better in the slot. Doesn't seem like that's the way they're treating it to start training camp, though. Well, Crowder's been Crowder's missed the first few days of camp with what they're calling general soreness, which you know, doesn't doesn't seem like where, where you want to be, um, you know, in, in, in July here. You don't want to be dealing, dealing with general soreness already. And then McKenzie has reportedly been – playing awesome early in camp. So um, again, the athletics, Joe Biscaglia kind of, kind of alluded to him, you know, believing that he thinks McKenzie is the favorite for the job at this point, And that if like this continues for another you know week or so that the, you know, kind of the battle might be over. McKenzie might be the week one starting slot guy for Buffalo. So again, we did flip them in our rankings. You know, we have McKenzie quite a bit higher now. I do think he's a nice target, you know, late in PPR drafts. I, I do want to point out that, you know, Cole Beasley as Buffalo starting slot, the past two years, he finished wide receiver 45 in expected fantasy points each of those two seasons. So it's not like it's an amazing role, unless you think McKenzie's going to, you know, eat more into like Gabriel Davis's work or Stephon Diggs's work, which I I don't. Um, so I think you're talking about, you know, like a probably like a wide receiver five in PPR. But um, you know, again, you, you you can draft McKenzie still at the very end of the draft. So I think he's fine there. I think general soreness is probably just what they call Jamison Crowder in the training room after the way his career has gone in that area. I, yeah, I mean, it's, they're all interesting players and Khalil Shakir is in the mix as well, generated some buzz and we like him as a prospect. He's, you know, kind of blocked after they re-signed and then added a new guy in front of him. So I'm intrigued by Khalil Shakir long-term. I'm interested to see how this shakes out for the season, but I'm not overly interested in investing into this slot competition for my fantasy rosters. I guess the extent I would go to right now is saying at the end of the draft, if somebody's available, I don't mind adding them. Yeah. McKenzie at the end of, you know, full PPR drafts, I think, I think is worth a look. Otherwise I'm not too interested. And he's probably going to climb now that the buzz is favoring him. Uh, So looking at ADPs for everybody, we alluded to Josh Allen's. He's obviously the number one quarterback, but he's also well ahead of the rest of the quarterbacks right now at 30 and a half overall on underdog. So he's, not even making it to the end of round three. He's more than a round ahead of number two, Justin Herbert. He's nearly two rounds ahead of Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. And I think, you know, in the best ball scenario, that's a little bit too expensive for Allen, especially when you consider that both Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis make for expensive stack partners. Yeah. And to me, it's really the opportunity costs that you're, you know, giving up when you draft Josh Allen in the mid 
third round. So you look at the position players going around him. It's Keenan Allen, Michael Pittman, Michael Williams, uh, Michael Williams, Mike, Mike Williams, um, DJ Moore, Kyle Pitts, Alvin Kamara, James Conner. Um, and, and to me, when you look to the fourth and fifth round, even sixth round, you can get, you know, Kyler Murray sometimes and Jalen Hurts. Um, the, you know, the quality of position player at that point takes a pretty big draft. So that, that's why I have trouble taking Josh Allen in the third round. Third round. Again, I, I do think he deserves to be that, that first quarterback off the board, though. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, um, you know, as we get to more lineup setting leagues, I'm fine with going ahead and taking Josh Allen because he's even though he's still around plus ahead of other quarterbacks in FFPC drafting, he's at like the four or five turn in main event drafts, early main event drafts on FFPC. I think that's a fair spot, even if it winds up being a round and a half earlier than the next quarterback goes. You by that point could have started with, you know, a running back two strong wide receivers, whatever you want that fourth player to be. And then Allen as this quarterback with a very high weekly ceiling. And then you just comfortably start every week throughout the year. Yeah. Those main event drafts are a whole different animal. Like every time I go from like drafting an underdog and I get into a main event draft, I have to totally like recalibrate because the quarterbacks drop so far in those things. I, you know, I, I, if you can get Allen in the late fourth or like the fifth round, I think he's, a, I think he's a great pick. Running backs, Devin Singletary, RB33. I mentioned James Cook, RB37, both in fair ranges. Zach Moss is at RB88, so he's basically going undrafted. And I think that's the only reason that he's worth mentioning, because if most of the drafts do not include Zach Moss, I think he's worth stashing at the end of a couple, just in case he, even if it's a Devin Singletary injury that puts Zach Moss on the field and he has two games where he scores a time or two, you know, that's some points that other teams are not getting yeah. in that tournament. Yeah, I mean, spending a, a last round pick on any player in a top three offense is never a bad idea. There's definitely some upside to Moss, even though, you know, he's, he's unlikely to hit that ceiling. Stephon Diggs, we talked about. He's wide receiver four, pretty much across formats right now. He could be behind Devontae Adams on some. Gabriel Davis is just inside the top 24 at receiver across sites. He's early round five. And to me, it's it's really just too early, and it's not even close to not being too early. I think the only time I'm even considering Gabe Davis at this point is if I arrive with a naked Josh Allen on my roster. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you, you'll if you do enough of these things, you'll get in the drafts where Davis will slip into the you know, mid fifth, late fifth, and you know that that's where I'll take my shots on him. But I, I agree, you know, wide receiver twenty one. If Davis hits that price tag, Steph Diggs is probably going to kind of disappointed at his price tag. It's, it's tough to see, you know, both those guys paying off. Yeah, I agree with that. Jamison Crowder, wide receiver 67. As of right now, Isaiah McKenzie, wide receiver 83, Khalil Shakir at 108. I think that's probably changed already in drafts going on right now. And it's certainly likely to shift in McKenzie's favor. I, I think wide receiver 67, it's an okay range, not a range at which I'm targeting the Buffalo slot guy. Yeah, I'm with you there, especially an underdog with it being half PPR. Again, um, you know, full PPR is, is the place to target McKenzie. Dawson Knox, I started draft season not wanting because of his price. But as I think more about it, if I don't love Gabe Davis where he's going, if I don't love the slot competition, then I should like Dawson Knox a little bit more. The case against him is he was driven by a high touchdown rate last year, and that's probably coming down. But he could also get more targets score a similar number of touchdowns, but do so on more receptions. Yeah. His targets per game and target share did climb a bit from the first six games to the final 11. Um, Knox has also improved his PFF receiving grade each of his three years in the NFL. So you know, he's a player who's probably still getting better. Um, I, I'm with you. I started the 
offseason kind of out on Knox. And for me, it was because of the OJ Howard signing. Everything we've heard about Howard since then has been, you know, kind of, he's kind of been disappointing. And that Knox is clearly the pass catching tight end in Buffalo. It almost seems like they want Howard to be out in the field more for his blocking. Um, so, so I, you know, I think Howard's fine at tight end nine, an underdog. Um, he, he's still going just six picks after Dallas Goddard, though. So that's that's my biggest reason for not taking a, a whole bunch of Dawson Knox. I'd, I'd much rather have Goddard. Yeah, still not a target player for me, but I'm okay with where he's going now as opposed to being totally out on him before. And he is probably my first like truly interesting stack partner with Josh Allen if I did take Allen in a best ball draft. Yep, agreed. Or even in, you know, FFPC tournament style draft, or maybe even in just like a standard league. Like I, I'm not paying nearly as much attention to stacking, but if I'm going to, a quarterback plus his tight end certainly works for me in those kind of leagues. It's always always a good tiebreaker, if nothing else, stacking. That's right. Miami Dolphins, Jared. Tell me about the big coaching change here. Yeah, brand new staff. Uh, Head coach Mike McDaniel coming over from San Francisco. He hired Frank Smith as his offensive coordinator. Um, Smith has no experience as an offensive coordinator. He has 12 seasons of coaching experience in the NFL. He was the run game coordinator and O-line coach for the Chargers last year under Brandon Staley. Uh, But, you know, this is going to be McDaniel's offense. Um, You know, he – Comes from the Kyle Shanahan tree. Yeah, McDaniel has actually followed Shanahan around the NFL for the past 11 years. Uh, Washington, Cleveland, Atlanta, San Francisco. Last year was McDaniel's first year having the offensive coordinator title. Um, again, I still think you know Kyle Shanahan was primarily running that offense. And you you look back at Shanahan's history, and again, it's we don't know how similar McDaniel's offense is going to be to what Shanahan did. But you know Sh- Shanahan's Niners teams have been mostly run leaning. But you look back before that, I mean, Shanahan does have four seasons where his team ranked top nine in pass attempts. So he's been willing to adjust the offense to the personnel. Um, and if you look at Miami's personnel, it looks like an offense that should be leaning pass. I um, know they add Tyreek Hill, they return Jalen Waddle. Chase Edmonds looks like their top running back, and he's you know more of a pass catching guy. So you know, I, I have I have Miami projected a 59% pass, which is you know kind of middle of the pack, maybe a bit pass leaning. Um, even, even that might be a little low. Yeah, I have it at 58-42, but the only thing I know for sure is that I don't know anything about what they're going to do on offense this year. Because, I, you know, it's easy to say he coached under Kyle Shanahan forever, so we'll use Kyle Shanahan's average to determine this. That doesn't mean anything. I mean, he learned from him, I'm sure, but it doesn't mean he's going to emulate him. And I'm with you in writing up the AFC wide receiver breakdown. I said this team is looking like it's building to pass. I mean, mm-hmm. they traded for Tyree Kill. They franchised Mike Gusecki. They um, signed Chase Edmonds, as you mentioned. So even the top running back signing is a pass catcher. So it, it would be shocking if the team is like, nah, we're going to throw the ball 56% of the time and we're going to roll with Raheem Mostert and Sony Michelle to kind of carry things and control the pace. It doesn't seem built that way. So I, I would certainly be fine with leaning toward them throwing more than what I had projected just from my early expectations. Yeah. And I, you know, McDaniel seems like a, a smart guy. And you know, it's, again, like you said, it seems like they've built this offense to, to lean pass. Now, depending on how you feel about Tua Tungavailoa, <laughs> that could be unfortunate that that's the quarterback that they have to work with, or maybe he's about to break out. Jared, which end of that spectrum are you closer to? <sighs> probably right in the middle, honestly. Like, like there, there's, there's nothing from Tua's first two seasons that you can point to and really 
be excited about. I mean, the fantasy production has not been good. He's finished quarterback 33 and quarterback 26 in points per game. PFF passing grades, uh, 27th out of 32 qualifiers as a rookie, 21st out of 31 last year. Um, now, he, he's been in bad situations. He's played behind bad O-lines. The, the Dolphins were dead last in PFF pass blocking grade last year. And the weapons have been okay. I mean, he's had some good weapons, but they've been banged up a lot of the time. You know, Devontae Parker wasn't healthy for most of the past two years. Um, so the weapons have just been okay. They're obviously a lot better now. Um, the, the one thing I like about this situation and the offense Miami's put in place around Tua, he's, you know, and if you watch Tua, you, you, you kind of know he's best throwing short, and the PFF grades bear that out. He is He was eighth among 33 qualifiers in PFF passing grade on passes between zero and nine yards last year. And you think about Kyle Shanahan's offense, that's kind of what it's based on, getting the ball into playmakers' hands. And that, you know, that's what they've built around Tua is, you know, these guys like Jalen Waddell and, and Tyreek Hill is obviously a deep threat, but is also awesome with the ball in his hands. Um, so I, I think Tua at least is in a situation now where if he's going to hit, you know, it, it'll happen in this, in this offense with these weapons. I think you must have missed the early offseason hype video where the team <laughs> generated that the, the slow-mo – hot air balloon, deep ball from Tua to Tyree Kill. I mean, it's just magic. The, the wobbler. <laughs> yeah. I mean, younger me would would have hated coming down in the middle on Tua or so many other things with this team, but that is absolutely, I think, the way to evaluate this team. I, I mean, you can have spicy takes on what Tyree Kill is going to get or what Jalen Waddle is going to command or what – this guy who grew up as an NFL coach under Kyle Shanahan is going to do with his offense. None of us really has any idea whether Tua is good, whether he's a drain on the offense, whether Mike McDaniel is going to know what he's doing in the first year, exactly how things are going to be distributed. So I think the only way to really get yourself in trouble in Miami is to overbet one way or the other. I think that there is enough talent that I don't want to be out on any of these guys and there are enough questions that I don't want to be too far in on any of them either. It's pre- primarily too, and it, it matters less for him because of where he's going than it does for the wide receivers. Yeah, the, the, the one other note for Tua, what Miami did this offseason, they really invested in the offensive line. They you know gave uh, Teron Armstead a big contract, and you know, when he's healthy, he's still one of the best tackles in the NFL. They also signed Connor Williams from Dallas, and it looks like he's going to be the starting center in Miami. So, And, and then they have a bunch of young guys. You know, They spent – uh, first round pick in 2020 on Austin Jackson, a uh, second rounder on Robert Hunt in 2020, uh, 21, 2021 second rounder on Liam Eikenberg. So there's some potential for this. Again, it was the worst O-line in PFF pass blocking last year. And there's potential for, I, I think it to be, you know, at least a league average unit this year, which would obviously be good news for Tua. At the very least, you like to see them investing in it and trying to improve it rather than saying, well, these guys are going to play better this year. Backfield, we mentioned the biggest addition was Chase Edmonds, at least in terms of dollars. They paid up a bit for him in free agency. He should be the lead back. We'll see how the carries get distributed. They also signed Raheem Mostert. Then they later signed Sony Michelle for exactly the same amount of money. So I think fantasy-wise, it's going to be a frustrating backfield. But there's plenty to like about Chase Edmonds for PPR purposes. Yeah, Edmonds is the guy I'm definitely on here. And as you said, the, the money says we should lean in that direction. I mean, uh, Moster and Michelle both got one-year deals with like a million bucks guaranteed. Um, Chase Edmonds got a two-year, $12 million deal, $6 million guaranteed. So you know, he, he's like in a two tiers above these other guys as far as the contracts they, they got. 
Um, there's also, you know, one of my favorite stats I've seen this offseason. It's from uh, Connor Allen of four for four. Chase Edmonds last year on zone blocking running plays ranked first in the NFL in yards per carry and expected points added per play. And of course, you know, the Niners under Shanahan last year, they were uh, they used the sixth most zone blocking run. So, if, you know, McDaniel's going to bring that offense over. And I think he will. Um, it, it, it looks like, you know, he kind of looked at the free agent running back landscape and was like, you know, Chase Evans is my guy. You know, this is the guy that fits in what I want to do in this offense. So I think he's definitely going to be the lead back. You know, he is up to this point has never been, you know, a high volume guy. Um, he is, he's bigger than I realized he's 210 pounds. Um, so, you know, he probably can handle, you know, 14, 15 carries per game if they want him to, we'll see exactly what the backfield looks like. But uh, I think Chase, uh, Chase Evans is definitely the guy who, who is, is the one you want to target in fantasy. And he's definitely the best pass catcher out of the three too. I would be surprised if he gets past 12 carries per game if these guys are healthy. Um, but, you know, he's certainly going to carry the ball. And, I, you know, I would guess that he's going to lead this trio in carries, even if it's at a lower level than a typical backfield leader for that purpose. Raheem Mostert, of course, played for San Francisco, so he should know the system, came over with the offensive coach. Uh, spent all of last season out injured after going down in week one and paving the way for Elijah Mitchell. But, you know, when he's on the field, he's explosive and he's going late enough that, the fact that he has been productive in the past matters more than the fact yeah. that he's also been hurt a lot. Yeah. He has the speed working in his favor and the experience in this offense working in his favor. I, I still prefer Michelle though, as the late round shot to take on this backfield. I mean, it, it's, I mean, Mostert's 30 years old and he's dealt with a ton of issues, injury issues over his career. Uh, you know, he's played just nine games over the past two seasons. As you said, he's coming off that knee surgery. You know, Michelle, he's still just 27, you know, former first round pick. He has, he's top 200 carries in three or four NFL seasons. Like it's kind of surprising. You think he's kind of been, you know, put on the back burner by, you know, the Patriots and then the Rams, but he, he's, he's found a way to get volume. Um, and he was decent last year, you know, 19th in elusive rating among 50 qualifying running backs actually beat Chase Edmonds in that stat. So uh, he, he's the guy I'm kind of betting on emerging as, as the number two guy in this backfield. Yeah, and has now produced for two different teams en route to Miami. So we'll talk about their draft position, which is kind of the, the last factor in deciding whether to draft either one. But first, the much more interesting group at wide receiver, led by Tyreek Hill, who arrived via trade, joins Jalen Waddell, who, by the way, set the rookie record for receptions in a season last year. I mean, no, I know it was the first year ever of 17 games, but still pretty good to catch 104 balls in your first season in the NFL, especially with Tua Tonga-Vailoa and <laughs> Jacoby Brissett as your quarterbacks. Yeah, and Alvaro benefited from massive volume, which you, you could definitely say is a mark in his favor that he earned that volume, but he saw 140 targets. That, that was the fourth most by a rookie wide receiver, at least since targets started getting tracked in 1992. Um, so it was a 23% target share for Waddle. I think that's a mark. He's probably going to have trouble repeating this season with Tyree Kill in town. But yeah, listen, it was, it was a great rookie season and it should be a pretty condensed passing game, right? With, with Tyree Waddle and, and I think Mike Kosicki. Um, so I'm fine with Waddle. Um, he's actually dropped in ADP a bit over the past month or so. Um, but I, I, you know, I do still think Tyree Kill is going to be the, at least the one a in this passing game. I would agree. And, you know, the unknowns make it uncomfortable here, but there's enough talent and especially these two players that I, I know I personally don't want to be totally out on them. So we haven't seen Tyree kill without Patrick Mahomes since 2017. He was a top 10 PPR receiver that year, even though he tied for just 23rd in targets. So, you know, it's a while back and it was one year, but he did produce without Patrick Mahomes. That was with Travis Kelsey around. 
So Travis Kelsey, I think, is worth noting because now Tyreek Hill lands in a spot where a guy dominated targets last year, but he and Travis Kelsey coexisted and got plenty each in Kansas City. I think it's possible that he and Jalen Waddle do so here. And, you know, maybe that also makes it possible for Jalen Waddle to get enough with Tyreek Hill there. I think the combo of the two of them, you know, you could argue about which one of them gets more targets. I think those two yeah. definitely hurt the upside and really fantasy usability of Mike Gesicki, Cedric Wilson, and basically anybody else in the Miami passing game. Yeah, I mean, with Tyreek Hill, I still think he's a top five receiver in the NFL, and the Dolphins obviously paid him that way, you know, giving up the 29th overall pick of this year's draft, plus second, fourth, and sixth rounders to get him. Then they gave him a four-year, $120 million extension, makes Hill the highest paid receiver in the NFL. Um, so at some point with Hill, I just want to bet on talent. Like, it's obviously a quarterback downgrade. His deep ball ability is you know, probably going to be hindered by Tua. But remember with Tyreek, I mean, they, he, they were the Chiefs used him as more of a short-range guy last year. He had an 11-yard ADOT. That was, you know, 43rd among 84 qualifiers. So he, he can win that way too, you know, running the shorter stuff and making plays with the ball in his hands. Um, so, I, I, again, it, it's obviously a downgrade, but he's also cheaper in drafts right now. And I think, you know, he's a guy I, I do want to get some pieces of. And even if the QB change is bad for his deep ball ability, it's not like he's never going to catch a deep ball for the Dolphins. So it'll it'll be around. So let's jump into the ADP review on these guys. Two is first at QB 17. He's a half round behind Justin Fields. He's a half round ahead of Trevor Lawrence. And Jared, those are two key reasons that I have not taken more yeah. of Tua so far. Yeah, me too. He's not a standalone target for me. But you know, if I if I do take Tyreek Hill or, or Jalen Waddle, then again, I'm not I'm not opposed to Tua at quarterback 17. Yes, and I think Tua gets a lot more interesting if you take either of those receivers because they each have the talent to outperform their draft position, but if either does by a wide margin, you know, like a tournament winning margin, then you're probably bringing the quarterback along at least from, you know, QB 17 level up to like QB 12 or 11. Exactly. Chase Edmonds at RB 32 in the backfield, same range on drafters actually, which is full PPR as opposed mm -hmm. to half PPR on uh, underdog. So I think that's a good value for best ball attorneys. And I'm, I'm more interested in rostering yeah. him there where I'm not going to have to decide when to start him. Yeah, and I think Edmonds definitely more valuable in full PPR. You know, RB32 on underdog seems good to me, but then, you know, I look at our rankings. We have him RB32 and half PPR. I look at my exposures. I don't have a whole lot of Chase Edmonds. So, you know, he's not ending up on a lot of my teams. But, again, um, I, I do think he's the guy you want to own in this Dolphins backfield, and I think he, he he's definitely capable of beating that price tag. Yeah, I don't think he has the touchdown upside to be a must from that range, but he certainly That's looks fair. fine in that range, especially if you are waiting until that range to shop for running backs. Raheem Mostert is at RB57, 184th overall in underdog drafting. Sony Michelle is at RB64, 208.3. So I've seen plenty of times where they're going closer to each other in drafts, but whenever that disparity plays out, it makes Sony Michelle very easily my favorite between them. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm surprised. Michelle's going, you know, clearly behind Raheem Mostert. Um, again, I, I prefer Michelle. He's not like a top target for me, but I, you know, he's he's the guy I'd rather take a shot on. And I think they're both guys worth taking a shot on at the end of any kind of draft. Because if one goes down, the other gets an instant boost in carries. And you know, maybe we do get uh, Chase Edmonds topping out at like eight or nine carries with the other guy carrying. 11 11 and a half 12 times per game maybe we do get a bit more something closer to the like Kenyon drake or james connor split with chase edmonds 
Yeah, you'll get you'll get about uh, six games of Mostert holding up, and then yeah, the the, the, the knee will give way or something. Tyree kills at wide receiver nine late in round two. I like him better than Debo Samuel in that range, who is going right mm-hmm. behind an ADP. I like him over AJ Brown, who is right behind Tyree kill. And I'm probably not going the same way every time when I'm deciding between Tyree kill and T Higgins who are right next to each other in underdog ADP. Yeah. To me, Tyreek and Higgins are kind of like in their own separate tier there. I do like them clearly ahead of the other guys you mentioned. Um, and again, it's just a bet on talent with Tyreek. Like right. I could see it's getting, getting to week one and he takes, you know, a, a, a short pass for a 60 yard touchdown. We're all like, you know, why were we letting Tyreek Hill drop to the you know, second and third round of fantasy drafts? Yeah. And that, that's the thing is you say, I don't know about him with Tua. Yeah. Neither do I, none of us do. And that's why he's going at the end of round two, rather than yeah. at pick eight where Stefan Diggs is right now. Yep, exactly. By the way, if you're not an underdog yet, for some reason, go in there now, set yourself up with an account, use promo code SHARKS, and they will match your first deposit up to 100 bucks. So you just get double the money just by going in and typing in SHARKS as a promo code. I recommend it. Jalen Waddle is at wide receiver 18 and underdog ADP early round four. I think it's easier to bet on Jalen Waddle in a full PPR format than half PPR because there, all I have to do is bet that Miami gives me the kind of passing volume that I'm hoping for. I don't necessarily have to also bet on Tua being an efficient quarterback. Yeah, I'm with you there. And, you know, models dropped by about a half round over the past month or two. He was usually a a third-round pick, you know, a later third-round pick. And now, like you said, um, he's wide receiver 18 in the early fourth. I think that's a fair price. I'll, I'll take him at ADP if I'm looking for a wide up there and he's the top of my board. I did want to know, you know, the the Tua ADP versus these wide receivers doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because – Miami, Cincinnati, and, and the Chargers are the only three teams that have two wide receivers going in the top 20 in ADP. And, you know, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert are both, what, you know, top seven quarterbacks in ADP, and Tua is quarterback 17. So what, one of these things is off. Either, you know, Tua is going to easily beat his price tag or Tyreek Hill and or Waddle are going to, you know, disappoint at their, at their ADPs. Or everybody's collectively too high on Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow. Could be. I guess we'll see. But yeah, I agree with you. If you like Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle at cost, then you should probably like Tua a little bit better and really just like talk yourself into taking him ahead of the quarterbacks that are around him, if that's the case. Yep. Cedric Wilson, wide receiver 96. You know, if you want him at the end of a roster, fine. Mike Gusecki, tight end 14. I don't think that he's winning anybody a championship. I like him as a fallback option. Like if I just get to the point where I haven't taken a tight end until I get to that tight end 14 range, I'm like, all right, that's cool. I'll take Mike Gusecki. He'll be crappy a lot of weeks and he'll be pretty good other weeks. (laughs) I'm curious to see how he's going to be used in this McDaniel offense. That's something I'll be looking for when we get to some preseason action. Um, Is is he going to be that the big slot still that he kind of has been over the past couple of years? He's not going to be blocking, that's for sure. I was going to say, I mean, yeah, McDaniel's used to having George Kittle, who is, you know, probably the best blocking tight end in the NFL. So I hope he doesn't try to use Gesicki like that because that won't go well. But yeah, I'm with you. Uh, he's, you know, Gesicki is one of like those 10 tight ends in that, you know, tight end 12 to tight end 22 range. Where, like they're all fine. And I'm just usually taking whichever guy falls past ADP. I hope he does try to make him block just because it's funny to watch. You're, you're such a hater. You always have been. <laughs> I mean, it is. If, if anybody wants to go back and watch Mike Kosicki blocking at Penn State, I trust, trust. It's funnier than watching his receiving video. <laughs> Think uh, Tim Tebow with the Jaguars. New England Patriots next up in our rundown. Coaching changes here. Josh McDaniels is gone once again as OC. It's the second time that he has left that post for the team to head coach somewhere else. The replacement plan. 
I don't know. We're waiting to see what it is. Matt Patricia might be calling plays. Bill Belichick might be calling plays. Joe Judge is the quarterback's coach. So <laughs> none of it is a good thing. We'll see whether it's a bad thing. I think ultimately it's not going to matter that much because it's not that interesting an offense for fantasy usage. Sure. I will say that the last time Josh McDaniels left, there was no drop off for the offense. Of course, that was right in the middle of a dude named Tom Brady playing quarterback. And so on the first day of Pat's training camp, it was Matt Patricia calling in the plays. Um, and that, you know, that's, that's weird because he has a defensive background. You know, he, he has just two years on the offensive side of the ball. They came with the Patriots in 2014 and 2015. He was an offensive assistant in 14, assistant O-line coach in 15. Otherwise, he's been a defensive coach. So why they've tapped him as the play caller is, you know, kind of beyond me. It's, it's, yeah, but like you said, it's, it's a concern to be a bigger concern if this was an offense we were investing more heavily in. But yeah, it's, 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 something, it's something to watch in preseason and early on in the season. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's something they're trialing right now to see how they want to do it. And maybe something that changes as the season goes, depending on on how things go. We'll see. Maybe the quarterback will make it even less relevant by being better. I have on the run pass split front. We have this offense that was the second most run heavy in 2020, the final season of, yeah, it was the season after Tom Brady left. Right. So uh, then last year we had the sixth most run heavy with the first year of Mac Jones I expect a little bit more progression on pass rate here, but I still Mm -hmm. think we're looking at a team that's going to be in the bottom half of the league in passing rate. I've got it projected at 56, 44. I wouldn't even be surprised if it's a little less than that. Yep. I'm at 55 and a half percent pass. Um, That's up two percentage points from where they were last year. So I'm with you. I think they push a bit more in that direction in Jones's second season, but yeah, it's it's still going to be a a run leaning offense. And I do think that overall it'll be a competitive team because there's a a lot going for it on defense and the backfield looks at least solid. Yep. As for quarterback, Mac Jones has gotten some praise from Bill Belichick this week. Mm -hmm. And you know, he means it because he doesn't ever say that stuff out loud. He said dramatic improvement over the end of his rookie year and said, quote, everyone recognizes how well he prepares and how much further along he is than a year ago. So, you know, that's bound to help the offense that we don't know who the plays are coming from. Still think it ultimately doesn't matter a whole lot for fantasy because Mac Jones is not a runner and the passing offense is lackluster. Exactly. He had a nice rookie season, uh, 68% completion rate. He was 11th among 31 qualifiers in PFF passing grades, but he finished 30th among quarterbacks in fantasy points per game because, like you said, he doesn't have passing volume on his side, um, only ran for 121 yards. Uh, So there's just, you know, I think he's going to take another step forward. I think Mac Jones – by the end of the year, you know, could be a top 15 real life quarterback. I, I just, I, I don't think it's going to really translate to fantasy. I think his, his upside is like a mid range quarterback too. Yeah, I agree. So moving on to running back where the Patriots are doing the best they can to keep us uninterested by just piling mm-hmm. a bunch of guys into the backfield. We've got Damian Harris who emerged a couple years ago. They added Ramondre Stevenson in the draft last year. He contributed well, especially when Damian Harris was out this past season added a couple more guys in the draft this year. I guess the best thing working for any of them is that nobody's going too early to be knocked out of fantasy contention just by, you know, by, by being too pricey on draft day. Yeah. And like, it's a good situation for the group. I mean, again, we think this is going to be a run leading offense. The O-line is still good. The, the Patriots have finished top 12 in rushing touchdowns in 18 straight seasons. That that's, that always blows my mind to do anything for 18 straight seasons. So there's going to be rushing touchdowns, to be had um, just you know, how everything's going to be divvied as usual with the Patriots. We, we don't know. Um, you know, Damian Harris was playing ahead of Ramondre Stevenson when both guys were healthy last season. 
they were both really effective runners. You know, Harris fifth in PFF rushing grade among 50 running backs. Stevenson was 12th. Um, Stevenson actually beat Harris in elusive rating. He was sixth among those 50 in elusive rating. Um, now, neither of these guys did much in the passing game last year. So that, that's another question we need to answer is, you know, who's going to do that stuff? Um, it seems like James White is not going to be ready for the start of the season and maybe not a factor at all this year. They drafted Pierre Strong, who's, you know, created some buzz, I guess, for his pass catching ability. He didn't do a ton of it in college, but it seems like the Pats like him in that area. Uh, you know, Ramondre Stevenson caught a decent amount of balls in his final college season. So I think he's a candidate for that work, but you know, there, there's just, there's a lot of questions that we need to answer in this backfield. Hopefully we have a, a, a better idea by the end of August. Yeah. I mean, Harris and Stevenson each did enough receiving in college that you would think that they are, are potential three down players, but it, it sure seems like yeah. the Patriots want to have their running back specialized because Sony Michelle arrived in the league with plenty of receiving pedigree behind him and then didn't do a whole lot of that for the Patriots. So, you know, it, it's, it's good for them in real life. It helps them score all those rushing touchdowns. It's bad for us in fantasy because we have a tough time counting on any of them. And, you know, we'll talk about how ADPs help line them up in a minute. Pass catchers. It's a less interesting group because it's not as, it's not even as intriguing at the top. Jacoby Myers is a top guy from last year and he dominated in targets, 51 more targets than any of his teammates last season. And Mm -hmm. each of his past two years has piled 40 more targets on top of what he got the season before. So he's trending in the right direction. Still stops short of being a high ceiling player though, or even an exciting fantasy guy, because even as the target dominator last season, he only got to 23.6% target share. And that would be fine if we're talking about an explosive player, but we're talking about a slot guy who's going to catch shorter passes, who's not going to, you know, win in the end zone. So there's just, there's not enough ceiling to really make Jacoby Myers a true difference maker here. Yeah. Finally found the end zone last season, but still scored just twice. Um, Myers finished 46th among wide receivers and half PPR points per game. He was 37th and expected half PPR points per game, but that, that kind of feels like the upside here. And I wouldn't even be surprised if his target share dips this year. And we actually have it projected to dip, uh, you know, three, four percentage points with the addition of Devontae Parker and, you know, Kendrick Bourne played well last year. We'll see what Tyquan Thornton does for this team, but I'm just, I'm not, I don't expect Myers to, you know, be the target dominator he was last year. He shouldn't based on how they've spent money the past couple of years, unless they're going completely wrong. And maybe that's the case. It certainly seems from the results, like they have not spent money wisely on pass catchers, but you know, the way that they've done it says they don't want Jacoby Myers to get a quarter or more of the targets, which I think makes sense. Devante Parker, there's plenty to like about him as the player, but he's stepping into a situation where some other dude dominated the team in targets last year. So it's tough to imagine Parker being the target leader this year. And Devontae Parker in New England with 17% target share is not moving a needle for me. Yeah, early standout in training camp, Devontae Parker. Ever, you know, Patriots are clear. He's talking about how well he's playing, but that's that's Devontae Parker. He's been such a tease throughout his entire career. Um, it's also probably a bunch of beat writers that have not had exciting wide receivers forever. <laughs> yeah. So now they're like, look at this guy. Right. He can run and jump. Is that is that Randy Moss back out there? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I mean, Parker's 30 years old now. He's, you know, he has, he's made it through a healthy season just once in, in seven tries in the NFL. So he might give you some spike weeks here and there, but I, I can't imagine he's going to be someone you're going to be relying on as a you know starter and lineup setting fantasy leagues. Kendrick Bourne was ridiculously efficient last year. Taekwon Thornton is fast and Nelson Aguilar is making a lot of money. 
But, you know, if we're not excited about the first wide receiver, it's tough to pay much attention to the third, fourth, and fifth. Yeah, I think Bourne will be the three here. Um, Aguilar was, has, was, was bad last year. Thornton, I'm not sure he's ready. Um, so I think Bourne's your, your third wide receiver, but I don't think he's going to be a fantasy factor. At least Tyquan Thornton can keep laughing at people, um, you know, complaining about his skinny wrists. The tight ends, of course, cost a lot of money last year as well. Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith. You know, they're both there, but just like at every other position, the the fact that they're both there cannibalizes the value on each player, especially John I mean, is, last year. I mean, is, is John Smith there? I don't know. Like, I guess in, in name he is, but um, not not in the stat sheet last year. You know, Hunter Henry had a nice year. He was tight on 12 and half PPR points per game. Um, he did overachieve in the touchdown department. He scored nine touchdowns on 50 catches. That's an 18% touchdown rate, which is, you know, more than double the NFL average for tight ends. But Henry was third among tight ends in red zone targets, second in end zone targets. He was second behind only Mark Andrews among tight ends in expected touchdowns with 8.2. So he only scored, you know, 0.8 touchdowns more than expected. So he, he got the usage where, you know, we can count on him to, you know, maybe, you know, be near the top of the league among tight ends and touchdowns again this season. Yeah. And he did that with the chargers as well before joining the Patriots. So, you know, whatever it is specifically about him that makes him a good option in the end zone, it's held yep. true so far in his career. So we should expect him to be a high touchdown rate guy. That of course is the kind of thing where bad luck can just swing against you at times. And it's frustrating in season. Like if you have, if you start Hunter Henry and you get three catches for 27 yards and a touchdown, you're fine. If you get three catches for 27 yards and no touchdown, then you're like, why the hell did I start Hunter Henry when somebody else is scoring for my team? That is true, but you can say that about like every tight end pass, like the eighth, the eighth guy. So for sure, Hunter Henry is definitely not going to be a, a volume winner, but you know he's going at an appropriate range. And let's get into that because I think that's the only thing that makes the Patriots interesting. And it's really like this might be the only team in the league where I'm only interested in, in best ball. Um, <laughs> Mac Jones at QB twenty three. It's fine. You know, you look at other guys, other guys around him, Ryan Tannehill's behind probably has a higher ceiling, but Zach Wilson is in the same range. Jared Goff is down there somewhere. So it's a fine range for Mac Jones, who at least still has the upside of the unknown. We don't know how good he can be. We don't know how efficient he can be. You know, maybe he does have a 38 touchdown season in him soon, um, which would certainly vault him up. I think he is helped by, the fact that his pass catchers are all going late. So if you get deep into a draft and you started with like Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, some other top quarterback, and then you waited a long time and everybody else is gone or just yeah. the stacking partners are not there. You can take Mac Jones and be like, all right, I'll take him. Maybe I'll take Devonte Parker. Maybe I'll see about Kendrick Bourne. And then, you know, there are just these other pairings that are out there. Yeah. I, I got nothing else beyond what you said. Like these are only guys I'm taking. If I kind of happen to land on them, as you know as part of a, a, a stack and it's definitely not it's not a stack i'm going into drafts hoping i get but you know if if Devontae parker slips around past adp and i take him you know maybe i'll take uh, mac jones as a second or third quarterback a few rounds later otherwise i'm not interested yeah it's especially worth keeping in mind for super flex where we're all drafting more quarterbacks and they go off the board quicker running back damian harris rb29 ramon j stevenson rb34 jared i think this is one of the few pairs that I would be fine with combining on yep. the same best ball roster. Cause round it, Damian Harris is going in round eight. So let's say you went six rounds, seven rounds without taking a running back. Then you pair these guys up. You get what has historically been one of the best offenses in the league at scoring rushing touchdowns and yep. you just lock it up. And then you don't have to worry about who you're starting going forward. Then you add, you know, another three or four or whatever to that pair. 
Yeah, again, eight straight, 18 straight seasons, top 12 in rushing touchdowns. And, you know, Damian Harrison or Mondre Stevenson, barring injury, are going to, you know, soak up the, the majority of those. And I'm with you. They're going late enough. Like an underdog, Damian Harris is a mid eighth round pick, or Mondre Stevenson, a mid uh, mid ninth round pick. So you could just spend back to back picks on those guys, you know, maybe as your third and fourth running backs. And I think, uh, I think that could be a good move. I grabbed a few shares of James White late in best ball tournament drafts, especially on drafters early when it wasn't clear where he was going and he was there at the very end of the draft. Right now, I'm treating him as though he's not playing this year. And, you know, that adds some upside to Pierre Strong. It makes him worth considering at the end of a draft, but I wouldn't consider him a direct replacement yet because it's it's always a bad idea to think that you know for sure what the Patriots are going to do. And there's especially not a reason yet to believe that he's just the direct replacement for James White, as opposed right. to, you know, just a, a putting together of the guys that are available. Yeah. And I mean, they also drafted Kevin Harris around or two after Pierre Strong. They returned JJ Taylor. They signed a return. Ty Montgomery, I can't remember where he was last season, but I mean, there, there's still a lot of bodies there. And I, I hate taking guys, even in basketball drafts, where like, there's a chance they just give me you know, 17 zeros for the season. I, I do think that's possible for Pierre Strong. Yeah, I think the way, where he's worth considering is like, you know, you take him once or twice just as a he's not always drafted. So if something happens, he's going to be a differentiator. Yep, agreed. The wideouts, Jacoby Myers at wide receiver 59, Devontae Parker at 65, Kendrick Bourne 79, Tyquan Thornton 103, Nelson Aguilar 114. Those numbers are the only reason that any of these guys are interesting is because they're all sticking around till late in the draft. And, you know, I said it's tough to imagine Devontae Parker coming in and taking over the target lead. It's not hard to imagine Jacoby Myers getting hurt. And if he does, then there's a much clearer path to Devontae Parker leading in targets. And Parker's wide receiver 65 and the contract the Pats gave him says, you know, he's probably going to be something close to an every down player. And he is the like archetype we want in best ball where he can make plays downfield and he can be a threat in the red zone. So he's, he's like the spike weak guy to target Myers to me is someone you only target in full PPR leagues. And, you know, even, you know, he, even in full PPR, he's more of a weekly floor option than a guy who's going to give you big, big spike weeks. Hunter Henry, tight end 15, Johnny Smith, tight end 33. And Jared, last night was two firsts for me with this pass catching core. First time I've ever been disappointed that somebody else drafted Tyquan Thornton because I took Mac Jones as my third quarterback <laughs> in a best ball draft. And I was like, oh, I'll take some Tyquan Thornton and see if he gets the deep balls that he's fast enough to get. Somebody took him like, OK, so I guess I'm taking Nelson Aguilar at the very end of that draft. Just in oh, case. come on. There had to be someone better. No, he's the nobody else has him. So if we get to a yeah. point where Nelson Aguilar has a four for 96 and two touchdowns, it's like, ah, at least he's not helping anybody's team. He's helping my one team. And then the other first is Johnny Smith. The first time I took him, end of the same draft, you know, stack with Mac Jones when the others just didn't work out. So not guys that I would target, but, you know, something to do a time <laughs> or two. How many rounds did those drafts go? 20. <laughs> not something have fun, I'm have fun with that team. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now at least if Hunter Henry goes down and Johnny Smith resurfaces, I'm like, oh, I got one team that's benefiting. We've seen, yeah, we've we've seen crazier things happen. That's right. New York Jets, Jared. No coaching changes here. So tell me what we should expect in year two under Robert Saleh. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, last year wasn't good. Um, Jets 28th in points, 26th in yards, um, 24th in yards per play. The Jets actually finished last year fourth in pass rate, but that's that's because they were so bad and they were trailing so much. They were actually just 15th in situation neutral 
pass rate. So they, they definitely, you know, want it to be a more balanced offense. I think the team should be a little bit better this season. So, so I did take their pass rate down. Um, they were up at 63.3% last year. I projected them at 59.5% this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I just it's an offense to not get excited about at all. I have them at 60-40. It's just kind of a generic projection because I don't expect the Jets to be good, and they have good receivers. So they should be throwing the ball plenty, and they have a good receiving running back who we'll get to in a few minutes. So not an offense to get excited about, but there's at least talent um, to take note of. Quarterback Zach Wilson, it was not good for him last year either. It was actually pretty bad, as we probably expected heading in. Yeah, so I, so I looked at the 17 rookie quarterbacks that have recorded 300-plus dropbacks over the past five seasons. Among those 17, Zach Wilson was bottom four in basically any stat you want to look at. Completion rate, yards per attempt, adjusted yards per attempt, PFF passing grade. Um, oh yeah, I mean, he looked like a bit of a project coming out of BYU, and he was in a bad situation, you know, bad O-line, bad pass-catching core when you consider the injuries that, you know, Corey Davis suffered and Elijah Moore missed a bunch of time. I'm not going to write – Wilson off yet, but you, you look at rookie quarterbacks that have been that bad and it's, it's, it's rare for them to end up being hits in the NFL. Yeah. And it really, the big thing is there's, you don't want to write them off, but there's no reason to write them on. I mean, it's not like he has this amazing ceiling versus other guys down there. So, you yeah. know, I guess it'll be nice if he rebounds because we like the receivers, but there's no reason to bet heavily on him. Right. I mean, that's, that's the things working in his favor is, is you know, the, the pass catching core, um, and, and he also averaged 15 and a half rushing yards per game last year. We thought he could, you know, do some of that coming into the league. So, you know, maybe he gives you 250, 300 rushing yards, which would help the fantasy value backfield much more interesting. And it's primarily because of the guy they drafted in round two this year, moved up to 36th overall to take Brees Hall who could have gone to a bigger school than Iowa State, but chose Iowa State, he said, because he wanted to play right away, and he did. Racked up a bunch of yards, a bunch of touchdowns, a bunch of carries across three seasons there. 82 receptions as a running back, 5'11", 217, so good enough size, and very good speed, 4'39", in the 40, and tested well otherwise at the combine. An exciting-looking player, Jared, and steps into a, a place with plenty of opportunity for him, I think. The, the difference yeah. of opinion here could be just how much opportunity you think is available. Yeah, I just, I just think Michael Carter had a really nice rookie season and isn't going away. I mean, I think Hall's definitely going to be the lead back here. Exactly how the touches are split is going to be something you know, hopefully we can figure out throughout August. Um, yeah, I mean, so I mean, so Michael Carter, uh, third in elusive rating last year among 50 qualifying running backs. He was tops among rookies in elusive rating. And he was good in the passing game too, 14th in yards per out run among 49 qualifying running backs. So I, and and um, the athletics, Connor Hughes has said multiple times this offseason that he does expect this to be, you know, like a, a one-two punch. He didn't give any projection as far as how it's going to be split. And it's, you know, it, it definitely read as more opinion than something he's gotten from the coaching staff, but it's worth noting. So I, I'm, I'm definitely not out on Brees Hall. I just, I don't think he's going to get enough volume to, you know, truly, you know, break out this season and be like, you know, top 10 fantasy back. He might not, but I think he might. And he's going in round four. And I think just the sheer possibility of it makes him worth buying to make sure that you are in, if it all comes together, because he's just like every, he has everything going for him that you look for in a running back prospect. And so if the biggest thing working against him is that Michael Carter was decent or, you know, we'll say pretty good. If Michael Carter was pretty good as a rookie, if that's the biggest thing working against him, that just to me is not a reason to yeah. not yeah. go after Brees Hall. 
Well, it's not the only thing working against them. It's also, you know, what might be a bad offense again. Um, the O-line wasn't great last year. They did make a couple additions, so maybe it's better. The situation, I think, is the other thing that might cap Paul's upside this season. Yeah, I can understand being hesitant with the situation. I think, you know, we can always cherry pick examples, but if we look back to last year, we got Antonio Gibson finishing RB10 with, I think, a profile that would not be hard for um, Brees Hall to reach. 16.1 carries a game, 2.6 catches per game. You know, you could divvy up those touches differently, but I think that like 18 to 18 and a half touches per game is a reasonable level, not huge in touchdown rate. And I think that there's more receiving upside to Brees Hall versus Michael Carter than Antonio Gibson. You know, it's just one example, so I don't want to overplay that comparison. But I, I said before, I think that I think that being concerned about Brees Hall in general, and this isn't directed at you so much as to out in the ether, but if your big concern with um, Brees Hall is that the team is bad and that Michael Carter was pretty good last year, I I would caution that last year – Naheem Hines and the Colts O-line were reasons that we thought maybe we didn't want Jonathan Taylor. And it's not an apples to apples comparison because Jonathan Taylor was at the one, two turn or in, in the first round of drafts or even early in round two, Reese Hall's in round four. So I think yep. you don't even have to put as much work into moving over those mental hurdles to just see what the ultimate upside could be. And then it becomes a question of who you're choosing him over to me in round four, there aren't a whole lot of guys that I'm scared of missing out on. Well, well, that's the interesting thing. If you look at under ADP, Hall's going right next to Cam Akers and Zeke Elliott, who, who I think have you know upside cases of their own. They they both have downside cases too, obviously. And we've talked about them both. And you know, Akers, it's with the Achilles. Zeke, it's just you know, is he is he kind of washed at this point? So, um, to me, I think the price is right on Brees Hall. I'm, I'm definitely not taking him over. Cam Akers and Zeke Elliott every time. I think I think those those guys have arguments to, to you know be up be in there too. I think that looking at that trio specifically, Zeke Elliott and Cam Akers seem like candidates that have made up running back dead zones in, in recent years. And I'm not saying I'm totally against either player, but you get guys with red flags like that, and you can explain them away with you know explanations that make sense. And that has tended to be what has driven the RB dead zone lately. Is you look past the pock marks to find the positives. And for me, if I'm looking at Brees Hall, I'm saying he's, he's brand new. So he's not hurt. Like either of these guys are broken down. Like Zeke Elliott might be. Um, we know that he's talented. We all believe that he is. And he's in a spot where he could get a lot of touches to me. He stands out well ahead of those guys in terms of ceiling. Yeah. I think the argument for acres and Zeke overhaul is the offenses they're in. All right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good argument. Again, I want I want all those guys. I think, uh, you know, Akers and Hall, especially to me, are guys I like when I can get them in, in, in the fourth round of these drafts. To me, shiny new Brees Hall over Cam Akers and his repaired Achilles is, is that I'm leaning the hallway. But, you know, like I said, I'm not totally against the other guys, but that's that's the one of those three that I'm scared to miss out on something big if I'm not taking enough of him. Pass catchers, we've talked about. It's an exciting group here. Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, uh, all those guys. Well, two of them are first-round picks, and the other one is the guy that fantasy folks are most excited about, and he's a second-round pick. So Elijah Moore flashed last season right around mid-year after Corey Davis um, politely got out of his way uh, <laughs> and before Elijah Moore then politely got back out of Corey Davis's way. So the problem in evaluating all these guys, Jared, is that we haven't seen – any of them together yet. And we haven't seen a whole lot of any of them with 
Zach Wilson yet or a whole lot of good from Zach Wilson. So this might ultimately be a situation that we're paying too much attention to because there's just not enough here to make anybody truly difference making. And th- this offense will not support three fantasy relevant wide receivers. It might, it, it won't support two if Zach Wilson doesn't play better than he did last year. And the other thing, which we can, I guess, get to now is the investments that the Jets made at tight end, you know, signing CJ Uzoma and Tyler Conklin to pretty big deals and then spending a third round pick on Jeremy Ruckert. Like, you know, does, do they want to be a two tight end team primarily? Like, I, I don't, I don't know if that's the case, you're going to, you know, see one of these three wideouts not be on the field as much as we need them to. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love, I love Elijah Moore's talent. I love Garrett Wilson's talent, although I'm, I'm not sure he's as NFR ready as some of these other first round rookies in this, this year's class. Um, and Corey Davis, I mean, I've loved his talent in the past, and he's so cheap in fantasy drafts that there's an argument to be made for him. But, um, again, this offense seems to be a lot better if, if, if these guys are going to pay off. Yeah, and I think let's go ahead and jump to cost because that matters a lot in deciding whether to be in or out on any of these guys. And if I just look at Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson without considering ADP, I would think that they're pretty close. I could see either of those guys leading the team in targets. I think it is possible that Corey Davis leads the team in targets, although I would rank him third among those three guys if I'm guessing who will lead the team in targets. So add in the ADPs, we've got Elijah Moore going 33rd among wide receivers. Garrett Wilson's at wide receiver 52 on underdog, nearly four rounds behind where Moore is. And then Corey Davis is a wide receiver 74. Corey Davis is going behind Nico Collins, which is stupid. So Corey Davis clearly in that context is the best value among the three, especially for best ball. Garrett Wilson is way ahead of Elijah Moore, I think, in value with that much separation between them. Corey Davis, you know, he he was only healthy for eight games last year. He was wide receiver 29 and half PPR points per game in those eight games. Now, again, he, you know, he, he's dealing with much more target competition this season. Um, so I don't expect him to finish nearer that high. But, yeah, wide receiver 74 is, is kind of crazy. Um, you know, Wilson, again, I like I said, I'm not sure he's ready to, you know, be a big factor in the NFL, but the fact that he was a top 10 pick tells me he's probably going to get the opportunity to, to do that. And he is, a, he's a talented guy. Like he's a, he's an electric mover. He's a, he's a fun watch. Um, you know, there's been some Odell Beckham comparisons for, for Garrett Wilson, at least in the way he moves. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely rather take those two guys than Elijah Moore. I love, I love Elijah Moore and the rookie season was encouraging, but um, you know, wide receiver 33, when you talk about the target competition and the quarterback concerns, um, you're, you're, you're just, just asking a lot for his talent to sort of, outweigh all that stuff yeah let's wait till halfway through the season when elijah moore's uh fantasy managers are disappointed and then we'll try to trade Mm -hmm. for him in dynasty and see if we can make that happen i think i think the extra bonus here to those adps is that if you draft more at adp you're really hoping that he's going to be at least your wide receiver three ultimately hoping that he's more than that if you grab garrett wilson or Corey davis at their adps you're stashing somebody on the bench that has some upside and that is the way that i would want to be in on the jets offense if i am at all i'm also okay with just you know not being in on the jets offense outside of the backfield yeah wilson to me is just a blind pick based on top 10 nfl draft pick that i'm getting at wide receiver 52 i think if you if you make that bet over you know 20 years you're you're definitely going to profit Circling back to the other ADPs, Zach Wilson at QB 24, whatever. I mean, Ryan Tannehill, Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield, Carson Wentz are all behind him. He at least is in the same region with those guys. And Carson Wentz is two full rounds later. And for me, it's easily Wentz straight up over Zach Wilson. So the fact that I can wait and still get Wentz means I'm I'm basically never taking Zach Wilson. 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to say I'm never taking him. I think it, at least the crappy rookie season is kind of priced in and you can say, you know, there's still this unknown factor with him. Again, the weapons we like, and maybe he has some rushing ability. So again, he's not a top target for me, but I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll mix him in in these underdog drafts. Brees Hall RB 18. We talked about where he is. Michael Carter is at RB 46. And I think that matters quite a bit because he's right behind Naheem Hines. He looks to me like a, a slower version of uh, Naheem Hines with a worse quarterback. <laughs> I mean, we could argue about the speed, but Naheem Hines is at least a guy who has showed that he can be at the NFL level, what we hope that Michael Carter can be. Carter's also just ahead of Tyler Algier, and then a little bit more than around behind Michael Carter is Kenneth Gainwell, who to me looks like Michael Carter, but in a backfield where he could just outplay the guy ahead of him and take on more touches without somebody getting hurt. I don't think that's a possibility for Carter versus Brees Hall. No, either do I. I. I don't think I've drafted Carter a single time. Um, I think he's pretty much a pure handcuff. I mean, maybe in basketball, he'll you know sneak his way into a couple starting weeks free, but I think he's going to need a hall injury to you know, really be an asset. And um, I, I can get guys like that. And he's not even a high-end handcuff just because of the offense and because he's a smaller guy. He's not going to be a 25-touch guy if all goes down. So I, I can get guys like Carter later on, like, like Brian Robinson, who we've talked about, who you know goes goes five rounds later than Michael Carter. Yeah, we saw last year where Ty Johnson got lots of touches when Michael Carter was pressed into duty. Tevin Can- Tevin Coleman was still in the mix. So, um, yeah, I- I'm out. So tight end, CJ Uzoma, tight end 32, <laughs> Tyler Conklin, tight end 35. That's where they belong because the fact that the Jets signed both of them makes me not interested in either yeah. one. Yeah, I mean, their last pick, tight end threes for best ball, maybe. Um, everything I've read from New York is, is Conklin's more likely to be the pass-catching tight end. And he's actually going behind Uzoma, so he'd be the guy. If you're if you're you know dabbling here, he'd be the guy I'd take. But um, you can you can probably do better. It's just like last year. I mean, it's similar, I guess, because neither one is quite as exciting as they were. But Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith with New England, where they sign one, you're like, oh okay, and then they sign the <laughs> other, you're like, what the hell are you guys doing? Wow. So like yeah. either of these guys could have been you know tight end twenty four if the Jets had signed him. Then they signed the other one. It's like I, I don't care that you exist anymore. That's going to do it for this eighth and final episode of the divisional preview series. We'll be switching things up a bit next week. Four man show with Mike Shope and Adam Krautwurst, of course, our boys from the deep end. They're going to be joining us. We'll all be arguing about stuff. So Jared won't have to listen to quite as many of my words. At least. <laughs> we'll be doing one of those a week throughout August. We've also got the DS invitational drafts coming up. We've got Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, a live draft to stream each night. Those are going to be on fan tracks every time. Lots of, fantasy players and fantasy analysts that you're familiar with. So those will be interesting to watch as you prepare for your own drafts. Three more of those the following week as well. So lots of draft streams coming up and our beat writer series is rolling on tomorrow. We've got Grant Cohn talking about the 49ers. We have several more coming on next week to talk about their teams. Jared, important insight that we've already gotten from the first three visitors that you really can only get by watching the team over and over again. Yeah, those have been really good so far. Really excited to talk to Grant on Friday because the 49ers are a super interesting team. But yeah, we're we're uh, firing up here. I, I said goodbye to my wife and daughter a couple of days ago. Um, you know, Matt, Matt's my partner for the next uh, four or five months now. That's right. I love you, boo. Make sure you subscribe to YouTube, Apple, Spotify, wherever you like to get your pods. You're not going to want to miss any of the stuff coming up uh, in this meet of draft season. Of course, you know, go to draftsharks.com because that's what we're, that's why we're here 
all the stuff that we do otherwise is on that site waiting to help you draft your teams, especially the Draft Sharks Draft War Room. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.